I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a crowd podcast. Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Groves, former France hooker Benjamin Kayser, and former Scotland international Johnny Beattie. The Grand Slam dream is over for France after a narrow defeat at Twickenham. But we'll come to the rugby shortly because it was a big weekend, wasn't it? Mother's Day, guys. Were you, uh, were you on duty? Tim, you better wipe that smile off your face like ASAP. <laughs> I was at work. Again, you pick your sides. As soon as you put this mic on and as soon as you've got the French Rugby Pod sort of emblem on your heart, you pick a side, right? <laughs> Was it a tough day, Benji? Was it a tough day? <laughs> <laughs> no, but imagine, because it made it made me think, you th- you, you say about uh, Mother's Day. My, my, my in-laws are English. So you can yeah. imagine, I had a little phone call. I had a little FaceTime. Oh, I, had I got a little it this, too, a little that. You know, there was always a smile. No, no, it's, it, it, it's all good. Mothers around the world are angels. Thank you very much for what you've done. But yes, Saturday Saturday wasn't as nice. Give us the lowdown. What did you do? What did you do, Johnny? Breakfast in bed, was it? Or... Uh, Sunday here, the kids and I went and got the chocolatines or the pan of chocolates for the northerners and brought them back. We There were some plants that were presented from each of the children. It was very interesting. There was a bottle of champagne that was popped later in the day. And then the rugby came on. So Jen went to swimming lessons with the kids <laughs> and I got to watch the so rugby. So the day was over. Yeah, Sunday was finished at 2.30. <laughs> exactly. But no, she was good enough to let me watch Scotland, Ireland. And apart from the uh, abuse from the in-laws, Benji, did the kids do something special? <laughs> Um, you know, the two little ones who, uh, hallelujah, gone back to school. So loads of little bits prepared and, you know, some beautiful pictures that you'll obviously frame and keep for the rest of your life. Some beautiful little necklaces that will be kept for the rest of, of our lives. In the bin. And a beautiful, a beautiful, how, how can I describe this? Sort of um, a pocket money holder, a key holder in, of a ball in the shape of my three-year-old's hand. Imagine oh. that in, in plaster. Yeah. It might get misplaced very, very soon, but but it's but it's beautiful. It's it's beautiful. Lovely. Enough of the beautiful. Let's get on to Saturday, shall we? Benji, you were at Twickenham. Still no win for France there since 2005. But hell of a game, wasn't it? Yeah. So listen, obviously, well, I mean, we're gonna. We, you guys can chop me in pieces if you want, and and, and drill into me. In the end, I was a absolute privilege to be there. Uh, it was a beautiful day of rugby. The first 40 minutes were the best 40 minutes I've seen in a heck of a long time. Agreed. Both teams absolutely went at each other's throats. Some absolute quality, some anger, some physicality, everything that I love about rugby. Not just, it wasn't sevens. It wasn't just morning brawling. It was, whatever, Muhammad Ali in the, in the, on, on the ring, but on the ropes. And they just constantly kept in coming at each other. It was just out, outstanding. Like, so fantastic first five minutes of France where Teddy Thomas is just lightning fast. Dupont runs the best running lines in the world, support line, sorry, in the world. And the boys were just ready. They were on fire. Mathieu Jalibert taking risk, everything that we wanted to see. And then England, bloody hell. They came back for 20 minutes of nonstop roller, uh, how do you say that? Not roller coaster, but like a machine, like a tank sort of version of going forward at pace. Slade was extraordinary. Max Mellins has got a lot of talent under his boot. He's good, eh? Um, yeah, Billy Vonipola is definitely back. <laughs> He's not the same, not the same <laughs> for the first weeks. There was two monsters that first half, mate. There was Billy Vonipola on one side, and there was Romain Taufi-Fenua, the Toulon lock. And it's funny because before the game, 
I saw everybody and they were walking by, by, by me. And I was actually chuffed because even some of the English boys, most of the English boys stopped and we had a chat and they said, it was very informal. There's a bit this thing that once you've, you've stopped rugby, we're not enemies anymore, right? I can't, I can't hurt you. You can't hurt me. There's only, there's only rugby. And it was, it, was, it was really nice and stuff. And before the game, Fabien Galtier was telling me, we lost Bernard Leroux, which is a big, big loss because he's he's made for those type of games when you need to run and battle. But we picked a heavy forwards, and he was like, "Oh, I'm just, I just hope we can cope with the pace." And he was mentioning, he was speaking about Romain Tao. He's like, "I know how good he can be, but having William C and Taufi Fenewa, he hoped it wasn't going to slow the team down." Wow, he did not slow the team down, mate. He smoked some dudes in defense. He was very good in attack, winning those those key meters whenever the team was slow and needed to get back into into the front foot. And those two guys smashed the shit out of each other with Maro Itoji on top of that. And they did brilliantly well. So everything that I love about rugby. 100%. I think also, like, talk about England very briefly. I think that's what everyone's wanted to see from England for the best part of two years. But You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> We've got the best out of England, basically. For me, two world-class teams playing at the highest level possible. And a lot of it was almost like watching Super Rugby the first half. It was so quick, so well thought through. Stuff like the continuity, offloads, the incision and everything done at extreme pace. Like I haven't seen that on the world stage international test level in a couple of years. So look, it was a dream to watch. Definitely for me, the best game of rugby I've seen this year. And look, a rivalry that's kind of been a bit of a damp squib for the past 10 years has just gone on to the next level. And so it's exciting to see how that's going to evolve, these two teams going at it. Because look, they're the two biggest for me rugby nations in Europe. And to see them both at that level going head to head, it was incredible to watch. Like I can't obviously a neutral, a little bit French, but I was delighted for both sides and delighted for everyone watching the game that we got to witness a level of play as such that was that first half. It was ridiculous. It was a bit disjointed in the second, but all sorts of points. You touched on the creativity. Well, I guess we'll get into like the tries and the way things were worked out. But the slugfest as well, as much as like, you've mentioned it now, Big Tau, who you kind of worry about sometimes, but the fact that they're so well organized in defense now, he doesn't get exposed. Valemsi as well, another one you think the two of them together, Fabian might have his worries, but look, they're so well drilled and so well together that they can just think about dominating collisions and that's what they do. Like going up against Vunapola, a couple of times Tau and Vunapola in the midfield, <laughs> like two absolute rams going at it and it was awesome to watch. So look, ultimately one of the best games of rugby I think I've seen in a long, long time. A lot has been spoken about Damian Pano's try. How good was that in terms of tries you've seen in recent years in the Six Nations? It's impossible to defend if it's done that well. Nobody can, not this close to the line, because the only way you can do it is if you defend normally as you would do it sort of in the middle of the field with three guys covering the backfield. But nobody does it because otherwise you're overexposed. So you have to take the risk of the perfect chip kick, you know, being almost undefendable. Because I was hearing people say, oh, Max Malin should have been there. He's got 70 meters to, to defend. So it's undoable. And the smartness about it is that they attack it, but then they pivot. And Gail Fico actually, you know, pops it behind him and they go again. I thought it was absolutely superb, beautifully done. It all starts from the hooker, obviously, with the perfect throw. <laughs> and so I could obviously see the coaches and stuff. And straight away, all the boys, Rafael Ibanez, Fabien Galtier, everyone turned around to Karim Gezal, which is the lineouts coach. So obviously he spotted something about the English defense. Um, I don't know if it's if it's the fact that Tom Curry shoots out earlier. I don't know what it is exactly. I, I didn't go that into detail, but everybody looked at it and they all went to clap his hand and stuff. And it's called the Toulouse. That's what Fabien Gelsi said. That call is called the Toulouse. I think if you speak to 95, well, 99% of people that watch rugby, they would say it's impossible to score from first phase, really. Yeah. Like how often do you see a first phase try? Pretty much never. And then you take into account the thought, this is the bit that I love about rugby and, and these kind of things is like your chess pieces, how you set them up, how you try and open space. And you, you mentioned Gazelle, Galti as well, the job that he did with us, even way back then, you could see the creativity, the time, the ingenuity that went into his starter plays, his launches. How do I create space? How do I create mismatches? How do I encourage the players to show them those holes are going to be there? And if the play is executed this far from the line, he's going to do this. And look, it was almost like he'd set up all of his pieces. He set it in motion and it was absolutely perfect from the overthrow. And you think, okay, it might be an overthrow to Fiku who's going to like quickly take gain line. That's your first thoughts. All right, how can we as a defensive line get up, dominate the collision, get him on the floor and stop the play? But then the fake inside ball to Teddy Thomas held Curry, held the second defender, that pivot and the wrap with Dupont then held Ford and Farrell. So already you've, you've sucked in the first four defenders. 
The next big piece was Vakatawa on the hard short line. That means that Slade has to turn his shoulders in and that's it. The dam- Once Slade, your 13's gone, the damage is done and it's open gates. So that's it from first phase with that smart play from the coaching team, which is a training ground play they've executed at Twickenham, test match level. They create a three on one with 25 meters and any one of them could have scored it. So for me, I love that kind of play. I love the thought that goes into it, how you work out defenses, how they work, and then that's it. It's absolute open gates and they absolutely smashed it. So for me, one of the best training ground tries that you're going to see on a test match level, um, and I can't think of many more that I've seen that are better. I was going to say, you said it's a three-on-one and everybody could have scored, but honestly, Jalibert, that last pass is a very it's tricky good one hit. to do because it's above two guys, so it needs to be at pace, not too high, technically good, and not going forward. How many passes have you seen? You know, we just try to chip it and lob it a little bit, but with the momentum of the players, imagine if that try was disallowed because it was just oh, a small forward scandalous. pass. It would have been absolutely gutted. And to be honest, I was blown away by Mathieu Jalibert's performance. There's this one time, I don't know if you remember, he is alone in the backfield. There's like kicks and kicks and kicks, right. and it so happens that he's Ridiculous. one catching, remember? And he starts Ridiculous. stepping, and then he does that little <laughs> flick pass on the right. If he gets caught there, if it's turnover, there's like six Englishmen. There's Tom Curry, who, wow, is, is a good player. He might be a little bit sometimes on the edge of, of being rewarded in the rucks and stuff. I think sometimes the refs are a bit uh, nice to him, but he's just relentlessly aggressive and putting pressure on, on the opposition. And he was there chasing Jalibert. Inside step, outside step. He like fends off a guy and then flicks it at the back. I was like, yes, that's that's balls linked to talent, linked to, you know, just playing at your best. French rugby. Mate, on your point, Tom Curry. So I thought a massive turning point was the penalty that he won under the sticks on about 38 yeah. minutes. And he never lets go. No, no, he doesn't let go. And it doesn't even get, I was like, so that like, if you think about the turning point, it was, I think it was Teddy Tomat goes up the short side, skins Watson inside out as well. After juggling the ball inside, links with Cyril Bai, who I think it was like a cut with Antoine Dupont. And then Dupont goes up the blind side, takes Ford and Watson with him like a dump truck. And then it goes in two phases. And clearly for me, he didn't release. And look, it wasn't really talked about in commentary. You were obviously there. You saw it on the replay on the screen. I'm like, was there any chat at the ground about why was that not? Because for me, there was no release at all. And at that stage, it was 17-13 for France. That was a penalty under the sticks. And for me, with the momentum, potentially a yellow. For me, that's a look. You've just gone back 65 meters. A try is going to be scored. Did you see it clearly a non-release as well? Or what did you think? Honestly, from when I was standing, I didn't see a thing. It was on the other side, <laughs> but then I was just looking at the screen. It, 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 it's one of them. It's very tough to, to judge, right? The, remember, I don't, don't know if you remember, but the last penalty of the game is Ben Earl getting that contest on the floor. Reversed. But it's so important that he looks at the replay and he reversed it. Yeah. Except it's, it's always the same thing about, you know, when do you award those penalties? And it was a clear on, on the elbows on the floor. To be honest, I was laying on the floor with my elbows <laughs> shouting at the ref. You know, I, I tried to impress him as much as I can, make as much noise. But it was a pretty clear thing. But it goes so quick that you can't really blame the refs, you know, for taking a wrong decision. It is pretty tough to, to call. And it's just one of them where he didn't take the time to look at it again. But there's loads of turning points, mate. There's, and that's what that's when two teams are so close to one another. There's obviously Jalibert trying to put the ball down in the end zone. So the, the, the TMO came in, but for me, it looked like Slade had almost hit the ball out with his hand as well, which wasn't referred by yeah. the... Like, nobody mentioned the TMO. That didn't come up at all. So for me, I know the exact clip you're talking about, watching it on TV, on the slow replay... For me, it looked like Slade had knocked the ball out intentionally. Therefore, it was a penalty try, but it wasn't even referred. I'm not sure if you've seen the image back. For me, there was a a couple of decisions. The first one was Tom Curry's turnover, which for me shouldn't have been a turnover. And the second one that was really questionable uh, was Henry Slade's intervention. Certainly, it should have been looked at by the TMO for me, 100%. There's also... (sighs) France in the second second half letting, letting go a lot of possession, to be honest. And there's, there's, do you seize the opportunity or not? There's been a lot of criticism as well on the replacements and the role that they performed in the game. I know if I put myself in Fabian's shoes, I know how he thinks. He will think that my starting players did a job. We should have won that game. We put ourselves in a place to win the game. And the, the replacements have kind of let themselves down. And that last try with Itoje, like I look at Woki, who is a guy that I've championed a lot and he he, make, he doubles down. He makes two errors clearly in that play that lead up to Toji's try. So he's at the back of the line out. He's not jumping. The mall gets set up. 
and he does the exact opposite of what you should do. So he hits it with his tits, which is the worst thing you can do. So he's up high, smacks it with his chest. Ultimately, he has to be down low. Like you've got basically four seconds of madness to try and tackle your backlifter and destruct them all. He doesn't do anything and he just gets carried. England get 15 meters of go forward from that mall. He then gets spat out of the back of it, gets back up to his feet and he's got one job at guard. You're one-on-one, you've got a toji, you don't let him through. And I know Fabien Galtier will watch that and be like, two mistakes there have crucially cost. And if you look at the other, I don't like targeting bench guys because it's always difficult coming on at the bench. But look, there was three or four instances that you thought if they'd come on and performed the role or even just achieve parity, like one was... Um, JB Crow when he came on scrum penalty. Walkie, I've just said he doubled down, lets Atoji through, lets them all through. And Kazo as well, when he came on, he, you know, there's a turnover the back of a line out. All he has to do is catch the ball, run 10, 15 meters, and France run the front foot, but he knocks on, gives the ball back to England. And I'm like, that was the frustrating bit was that the starters, for me, absolutely bossed it, world class performance. And I reckon if the bench boys that had come on had just managed to achieve parity or not make mistakes, they could have, should have, would have won the game. And that was the difference for me was the boys that came on couldn't quite push forward and, and let a thing slip slightly. And are they just individual errors or is that a coaching thing? That's the thing. Hang on. The, the coaches decided to go 6-2 on the bench. They yeah. put six forwards and two backs. You talk about Wookie, but Anthony Jelange, which was the starter against Ireland, didn't come on at all. So not only yeah. did he not come on before Wookie, but he didn't come on at all. Mm-hmm. Tamak didn't come on. Baptiste Serin didn't come on. Entamac is sort of understandable. You're not really going to add pace, you know, to a nine and 10. It's not really so much that in stuff. But in the same time, you're not sending him a good message. And then you would have needed that energy. You talked about Kazo. It was Kazo's first cap in, in the biggest game that France have played in the last sort of it's year. a shame. I don't know who are the other two, but Gerasi, you know, who, who already started against England in, in, in December and Pesanti, the other one, at least they've got a tiny bit more experience of what international level is. It's basically, if you do a strategy, go to the full extent of it, but he didn't use his whole bench and he didn't use all his forwards and he got them in late. And on top of that, they picked a guy who was who, who had zero caps and I was next to everyone. He was the first one to go warm up. So I didn't see if if Tao or uh, or Willem were injured or anything, but clearly they wanted him to to, to come on. And and English finished very strong. So there's there's like you said, there's the individual errors, yes. But I really do think it's also down to the management to sort it out. It's easier to say now that the game is finished because in the middle of a of, of that war, it's impossible to foresee what's going to happen. I, I agree, but I still think. There's a bit of a cock up there that costs a lot in such a, a, a small, fine margin sort of game. So for me, they've played their hand at their starting 15 and it absolutely worked. But then it worked to a certain extent. So you know that Vakatawa has only played one game, right? And he was insane for the first 40 minutes, but he clearly can't go for 80 after only had one game back. So even if you've got Intermac that's on the bench, you bring him on to, just to freshen things up because Vakatawa clearly tired as the game went on. You've then got the two second rows. So you've doubled down and taken another big second row because you've got things, well, Kazo's physically bigger. He's a bigger lump than the other two boys that you mentioned. Maybe that's the reason he's there and they've just gone for size and bulk. But I just think they played, they showed their hand. They were awesome for 40 minutes. And if things had been slightly different, if the tweaks had been slightly different from the bench, I think they would have won the game. So very fine margins, but all eyes were on Fabian Galtier after everything that had happened over the previous month. Eddie Jones has come in for a lot of criticism recently. Did Eddie Jones win the coaching battle? Well, you, you look at the key sort of key changes he made. If you want to sum them up to uh, Max Mallins and uh, Luke Cohen Dickey, Cowan Dickey had a very strong game. And I was surprised. Jamie George only came on, I think, seven minutes before the end of the game, yep. which is very late, basically, for a player of that quality and, and usually in the normal hooker's rotation. So it's really that he backed his, his change. Max Mallins made a few mistakes, but I thought he was very threatening. And Elo Daly did very, very well when he came on. Yeah. You could tell there was that extra anger and stuff. So in terms of that, you bring in Johnny Hill at the end, that massive lump. Um, I, I do think that they, 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 the, the, what did you call it? The management battle basically was won by Eni Jones. The only thing that bothers me is that after the game, Eni Jones was like, everybody was praising basically the first 40 minutes of crazy rugby that was prepared. And it's like, is that been always been sort of, what, what did they say? Always been brewing. Or is that something new? He's like, nah, mate, we've had this for a long, long time. Because <laughs> it's always it's been there, lads. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about? Wales, there was glimpses of it, but nowhere near what they did for 40 minutes between uh, Ford, Farrell and Slade. Slade is, was very good. Every time he touches the ball, he creates something different. And they were just attacking nonstop. So um, I think his players 
won that battle for him. I much prefer now that we're talking about the rugby, the ins and outs, the nuts and bolts of a 45 minutes that was world-class as opposed to talking about COVID and bubbles and waffles. Like it's much more interesting. And like that Anthony Watson try for me, again, showed the level of detail that goes into the coaching, what they do behind the scenes, how they work on trying to break down the fences. Like if you think about, like most teams play a 1-3-3-1, like on that Anthony Watson try, they ship the ball to Mako Vunipola, who normally you think he's going to dink the ball out the back or off his shoulder to the short runner. But that then as a defensive line, you have to stop and respect because he's a massive unit and he's got boys either side. So you could see, I think it was um, it was Cretin that has to stop. And so then normally the next player out the back is Farrell. And you can see, it was really smart. If you watch the play back, you can see Farrell goes to take that out the back ball and starts to tread wide. And you can see him draw the next man out the line as Aldrit, or the other round. I think it's Aldrit, then Cretin. And what that does is it creates the separation. So you start to get a gap. And then the next play, the next layer to the move is that it's Henry Slade that gets the ball. So he comes from a complete blind spot that nobody sees. Farrell stretches the defence. Mako Vunipol and his pod have stopped the defence. And then Slade's got a massive gap to go at. So like Slade was amazing, but I also really appreciate the coaching, the strategy that's gone in behind into how they create these bits of space. Right. Let's put it to bed finally. We don't want to talk about COVID, waffles, bubbles anymore, but we did speak about it last week. We spoke about how obviously we didn't really know what shape France were going to be in after a month since the last game. And we did speak about unrest in the camp. There was no evidence of any of that, was there? No, honestly, so I saw the boys before the game and stuff. A lot of them were kind enough to come and we shared a few words and all the staff came in and they were just buzzing about playing an amazing game of rugby. It was There was a sense of saying, yes, of course, things could have done better. It could have been done better. But at the same time, it's keeping an airtight bubble is almost mission impossible, basically. That's, that's the long story short. And so I didn't feel any resentment. I felt there was a young bunch of lads who really get along well. They all had smile on their faces. Uh, there was a, a, a really a, a big sense of positive attitude around that team. And that's all that matters. Then whether there's a, a separation between the coaching staff and the players, if there is one, good. Because the players need to take the decisions anyhow. The players are the heartbeat of the team. They need the knowledge from the staff, don't get me wrong. And there needs to be respect uh, down and up and up and down. But still, it's the players that will always be in the core of this. And speaking of players, I, I thought the, um, your, your argumentation, Johnny, was absolutely spot on. But it's Dylan Cretin, because Cretin means idiot in French. <laughs> so be careful. Cretin, it's the same in English, right? And Benji, we spoke to Joe Marler last week about the type five. He um, gave us his thoughts. Was Mohamed Hawass targeted a little bit? Did he? Was he the one? Was there any weak link there? I, I don't think so. I really do think, and it's funny because you can ask him that, and I, I want him to be quoted on this. Jamie George was right next to me when England milked, milked a second penalty just to get out of their own half. Kyle Sinclair's feet were behind Vilipone one. He was laying flat. You know when you don't when you see a prop who's who's almost flat and on the floor, it's protection right is that you will do absolutely anything not to get pumped and if the guy is this you know yeah you just just get the ball in get it out i don't want to scrummage and that's what happened on that one on that one i'm not saying all the all the scrums and uh, and so they milked her so i don't think i was 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 targeted i could tell the boys would basically instead of you know going mess around with marchand and bay they would try to you know hit him around the head and get him psyched up but that's just just part of of, of the battle right you, you the the um, the tight head is so much the cornerstone of that whole scrum that that you need it and funny enough Kyle Sinclair in that game did nothing in terms of provocation I didn't see anything on on, on that side really but uh, no, so the, the, I think there was a, a, a there was a massive contest. I really do think that England should have been penalised a bit more in the first half, or at least for the first fifteen minutes. And towards the end, they were dominant. We pronounce it Sinclair in English. It's Kyle Sinclair. <laughs> um, <laughs> mate, I, I thought tight five wise. I thought France were awesome, and I think Mohamed Was has been the guy that has been the weak link or the perceived weak link. But he seems to be growing. To be fair to him, and then you chuck in like Marchand. I think he is top draw like he had such a good game man, he's unbelievable like he his darts his game. like his ball carries he's destructive then over ball jackling there aren't many better in the world right now than him then you got Taufifunua and Valemsi who two dump trucks stopped everything in its tracks um, again both can compete for ball huge men but impossible to get off the ball once they jackal so look the French type 5 I thought was awesome and like speaking of type 5 the best type 5 moment for me, was actually Damien Penault counter-rocking Ellis Genge clean off the ball 
and creating that turnover like in the second half. I thought that was unbelievable to see. He's a big boy. Like, don't get me wrong, Damian Peno, but to beast Ellis Genge off the ball like that and another huge moment for France was insane. So look, I, th- I thought they were great. They, they worked really hard. They toiled really well. And it was, it was a good old um, smash up in the tight five. And disappointing as it is for France, they can still win the tournament with a couple of big wins in Paris against Wales and Scotland. So do you think they have it in them, Benji, or is it a step too far? It's, it's obviously definitely doable. What worries me is that it's not just two wins, right? There's going to be bonus points needed. At least one. And that's the really tough one. So they need at least one and they can't concede one to Wales. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, very tough. If you told me, yeah, if they, if, they, if they take eight points in the next two games, I 100% back them. Now to take 10 points or a minimum nine without Wales taking one, that, that is a tough one. Uh, they've got it in the tank, definitely. They've got it in the, in the depth of the players for sure. Uh, psychologically, I think it's going to be a very tough one because you're going to have to compete and give absolutely everything next Saturday and then go again six days later. And that's going to be tough, uh, you know, in, in the head, in the body. I still believe they can do it. I still believe that they've got everything that, that that's needed. I still believe basically they're better teams than Wales and Scotland. If that's what you ask me, I still believe they're a better side. But to play them back-to-back, considering how Wales have got nothing to lose and they're in a perfect position... Uh, and they will come up with a very smart plan that probably won't allow France to play that much. I mean, if I were Wales, I would kick the shit out of the ball the whole day. Yeah. <laughs> play play not in their nature. Just kick chase. Boring. Because basically, even imagine, even if they just sneak in a little bonus point, then they win it. So yeah, I'm sure they'll go chase the Grand Slam. They'll just go for the win, of course. But they will not on purpose try to chuck the ball around and get opportunities to France to score some tries. No, but look, of what France have shown in this tournament, there's also no way that they want to give Wales a grand slam in Paris. Like, there's just no chance that, like, we know that we know the mentality, we know how it works. That's not what you want to happen, no matter what country you're representing. And for me, absolutely, like, if you think of Scotland's performance at the weekend, they'll be like, we can smash five points out of Scotland because they were shocking. Um, and it's like, can you come down and can, can you beat Wales? And the, yes, they can. And I think you see the way that they've been playing the level that they're at and the belief that they'll have in their systems and their structures and the players around them and the way they're going about their business I don't see why they can't get nine points at the next two games it's then that difference of can you avoid a losing bonus point for Wales can you stay clear enough and have some daylight and make it tasty with them the same points at the end of the championship. So look, absolutely, they're capable of winning the next two games, 100%. And this is a completely different France side to the one we've seen over the past decade or so, but Wales have won three of their last four in Paris in the Six Nations. So they'll be confident whether they they know they can go there and, and win. Yeah, I think they will. But I, I think there's so many changes behind the scenes and so many changes in personnel that there's a shift for me. Um, I think Wales... I think the, I don't know if they will, but like there has to be a certain level of understanding that they've scraped through a couple of wins and they haven't been outstanding. But then Wales sort of have this canny knack of doing that, don't they, over the past decade? Um, but look, there's no Gatland, there's no Edwards, um, different systems, different structures, different coaches. So it's a different ball game. And you've got to think for France at home. So you've got to remember it's the first game for them at home in the tournament. They haven't played at home yet. The popularity of rugby, how it's rocketing. Benji talked about TV earlier like there was I think it was eight and a half million spectators for this game which is the biggest audience the French national team have had in years like the interest in the sport and the popularity of these players because of what they're doing on the pitch is going through the roof so look they'll want to put on a show and smash Wales in Paris like Benji you'll know better than I as a Frenchman but I'd expect that'll be exactly the mentality it's our first game at home let's do this let's absolutely put on a show and smash them they're not getting a grand slam here I think it's a great it's funny I didn't even think they were it was their first game at home it's true. Um, yeah. It's because of that Scotland game being postponed and just being that type of year where you only have two home games. Yeah, it's spot on. So the, basically, it's, it's crowd, no crowd. It will be a sense of, you know how good we've been. We fell just, just a little bit short. I think the boys were not down after the game. They were gutted, don't get me wrong, but they were still proud of, proud of the effort and where they've come. But it, it's not so much of being against Wales. It's It's been... Let's still keep on chasing our dream. And the fact that it's the first home game, I think you're right. It will just be the added sort of extra sauce they needed. And having two home games at the end is is a pretty crazy moment. And you mentioned how we think Wales might play. How do France combat that? How how will France try and play this game? I reckon France will 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 hit it, will hit the ground running. They will be basically like, listen, what are the strengths of France? When we attack, when we're at pace, and when we put our our, our best players in good positive positions. 
something happens. So whether it's taking the points at first, obviously provoke that, that, that Wales defense and still get some Terry. I'm not saying they're going to kick the touch every single time and, you know, go mental. I'm just saying they're going to play with what works for them. They will attack. They will compete against that Wales defense. They were really, really tested out until they know that um, the, in that it's the time now to kick in the corners. I think basically they will empty the tank as much as they can with a bit more composure and try to be a bit more disciplined because they remember the game against England. The moments where they started to kick the ball a little bit loosely is the moments where they were, they were the most uh, un, un, under pressure. But I think they, they, I think they're smart enough now, whereas they might not have been in years past, that if Wales kick them to death, they don't try and run everything out their own 22 or they don't try and run everything out of their own third, which I think in years past they would have done, they would have exploded. I think they've now got it in their game that they can be pragmatic. They can try and peg a team back like we saw in the Autumn Nations Cup final. And that's it. Then you've got when you get into right areas, when you get the chance to strike, you hold ball. Because when they do hold ball, they're phenomenal. There's some huge matchups as well that we haven't really talked about, like Vakatawa up against George North, John Fox Davies going up against Fiku. Like there are some huge players that are going to go smashing head to head in this game. So it's going to be awesome to watch. But that's it. I just hope that France, they're going to have to be a little bit safe the first five, 10 minutes, I think. Like don't shit the bed. Don't try and run out your backfield. And I think once they get a foothold in this game, they've got enough of they empty the attack and they smash Wales up front and they can get over the game line and cause real problems. So... Look, just back themselves, I think, would be the... Like, don't change too much. What they've done so far in the tournament has been exceptional. Um, keep hammering it. You're at home and go for it. I think they could absolutely turn over Wales this weekend. And as if they needed more motivation, I don't think Sean Edwards will <laughs> let them have any time off, will he? <laughs> Up against Wales. He's definitely going to be absolutely psyched. Funny enough, he, he was very quiet before the England-France game. There was enough to be said with the bubbles, the waffles and, and all that stuff. So maybe he tried to concentrate. Maybe he was very vocal within the side, basically, but nobody sense said anything. Of course, he's going to be centre of attention. Of course, he's going to attract some attention from Welsh media as much as from French media. Uh, and of course, he's going to put, he's going to be adamant. Like you said, if there's one person who's going to have the same speech that Johnny just had a couple of minutes ago saying, do not let Wales win the Grand Slam in Paris, it's going to be him. So yeah, I think there's going to be a definite plan. It's funny when you talk about the matchups, how good is it for Vakatawa to be able to speak to Sean Edwards about Liam Williams, George North, uh, you know, Fox Davis, Bigger, all these guys. It's priceless. You think for Galtier as well? Oh, yeah. What are the easiest ways to unlock Wells' defence, which Sean has run for the best part of a decade? What are, what are the shortcomings? What are the easiest way, what are the easiest way to chip away points? Where Who's the worst under the high ball? All these kind of things that you can pick Sean's brains, get some inside intel and will hopefully help. So look, he's going to be an absolute key this weekend. Um, they're night and day defensively generally, but if there's one man that you want to have a bit of info from, it'd be Sean Edwards when you're going to go and play Wales. And in terms of selection for France, uh, Winnie Antonio, Arthur Vincent, back in the squad, they were two players who tested positive for, for COVID, we know. Bernard Leroux is having tests on Monday. He may be back. We mentioned how well Romain Taufifanur played. Do you change that if Bernard Leroux is fit or not? It's a good, it's a good point. Uh, that's going to be a big, big call. But basically, if Bernard Leroux is fit, do you keep Villemse or do you put Tao? In terms of what, what was delivered on Saturday, I would definitely leave Tao in there. But he's also very, very good off the bench as an impact player because he's so big and such a good ball carrier. And the one thing that stuck with the French team since the beginning in a massive change is their reliability and the consistency of their uh, team picking. And it doesn't seem to be only the form. It doesn't seem to be only the you know, what happened during last week, they seem to stick sort of to the same uh, philosophy for the same, same thing, for the for it to feed onto the players, for them to then be more confident and be, you know, feel more part of it and all that. So it would be a big call to drop Portao because he went through a lot of work and he did really well. I personally wouldn't. I would keep him in there even if Bernier is, is back. You'd keep the two big rigs together. You'd keep Tao and Valencia together and have two mass, like two tight headlocks. You wouldn't bring... Bernie no, back no, Bernard, man, Ber if Bernie is 60% back, he's playing. He's playing. Yeah, 100%. He, he, he'll start. He's one of, speaking of Amiga team before the game, I never noticed how much. He, that's the first thing he told me. We lost Bernard. Ah, we lost Bernard. He's one of those. He's got like, he's probably got, first names, eh? Oh, for sure. Like 100%. I reckon Julien Marchand is one of them now, but wasn't before because there was Camille always coming back and you just don't know. So now there's definitely Junior Marchand. There's definitely Aldrit. 
there is definitely obviously Antoine Dupont and, and Bernard Leroux is is most definitely one of them with Ficou, Vakatawa, whatever. He is the symbol of of the safety player for them. He's not going to score you any tries like Vakatawa and stuff, but he's the reliability of listen. If we've got him, we know we won't be really far because he can fit to any strategy. He can do the hard graft, but he can also do the running. And that's that's why he's so hybrid. You know, it's riskless basically to to put him on. So I think he'll be back. I think Winnie Antonio might maybe might come onto the bench, but I don't, I don't even see it happening. You just never know. And, and other, other than that, there won't be any any changes. I wouldn't see why they would drop Jalibert to put Entamac back in there. That would be, again, very, very harsh. So I don't see any changes apart from Bernard Roux coming in. Hello, I'm Garrett Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And this is your official invite to come and join our brand new cycling club. Now, good news, it's a podcast too. So you can come and listen to us, try and build this club from scratch. And we'll have a few familiar faces joining us for the ride too. Right, G, time to tell everyone what we've called this club. Well, we thought long and hard about this, so we come up with a strong original name that really stands out, the Garen Thomas Cycling Club. Yeah, I suppose it's easy to remember at least, isn't it? We will have new episodes for you every single Tuesday. Come and join us. Johnny, you've got some good news to share with the listeners, haven't you? I do, mate. We've got our first sponsor, and I think you're going to like it, Benji. Think of something typically French. Oh, my word. Listen, it's what makes my heart beat at the moment. I'm a huge, huge coffee lover. Whole beans grounded every morning. That's what I wake up to, and that's this lovely sound that I love to hear in my kitchen every morning. We're living off it in our house as well after number three arriving in November. So this episode is proudly brought to you by Packed Coffee. It's coffee without compromise. Packed Coffee offer flexible coffee plans delivered to your door. They only source the best coffee, and they pay farmers an average of 55% more than the fair trade baseline. You can also choose from over 15 different coffees and more than eight origins. Johnny, are you whole bean like me or are you ground coffee kind of guy? I'm ground, mate. Well, you're both in luck. With packed coffee, you can select exactly how you want your coffee and then it's delivered to you with free and fast delivery. No hidden charges and it goes straight through your letterbox. So if you want to try packed coffee, you can get your first bag from just $1.95 with the discount code FRENCH. Go to packcoffee.com, P-A-C-T coffee.com and enter the code French at the checkout. Enjoy, guys. Regalez-vous. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't active looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today well let's have a quick chat about the other six nations games at the weekend then do we have to <laughs> Since the high of beating England at Twickenham, it's uh, been uh, it's been downhill, hasn't it? So, a uh, lot of chat about how this Scotland team is is the best. Paul O'Connell said it before the game, didn't he? The best Scotland team he's seen for a while, but it, it does feel like a similar old story. Oh, mate, they were so far away that for me, the final score was extremely flattering for Scotland. Um, that first half, I mean, they just got absolutely. And, and again, having been in it. And obviously when you're there and you're playing and you're putting on a Scottish jersey and you're going to play, there's not that much difference between us. We should be able to win this game, but they just got absolutely physically battered in every sense. Like every collision, completely dominant for Ireland. You look through their team, like Furlong, he was monstrous again. Byrne, Henderson, like they just smashed everything up front and there was no answer from Scotland. Ultimately, they just soaked and soaked and soaked. And then the try that Scotland scored was... (laughs) A complete fluke. Like, I don't think we'll see another one of those in the tournament. That kept them in the game. And look, line-out was yeah. tra- traditional, you know, a force for us. Like, something we can normally count on, rely on. We are really proud of our ability to win our own ball, cause more problems, disrupt opposition ball. But 
I think we won two of our own lineouts. Lost six, one two. I, you just you can't exist at, at pro level. It just doesn't happen. So the fact that the scoreline was that tight at the end, and it took Johnny Sexton to knock that ball over. But look, ultimately for me, Finn Russell's try, piece of absolute luck. We have a random piece of possession. Hugh Jones, Bayonne will be delighted. Their supporters will be delighted to see him skipping over. Like he's again, he's so dangerous with ball in hand, but we we don't get to see it that often bad tackle from Lowe who falls off and look we're still in the game but generally if you sort of sit back and watch the thing across the piece I thought we were so far off the pace and I'm not sure again compare and contrast with France who haven't had the chance to play either France didn't seem to have any sort of hangover Scotland in terms of their organization their line out stuff they were just they were not even at the races like the only guy for me that you could sort of stick hand on and say had a decent game was Hamish Watson again in a pack that was going sideways and backwards and had no platform he was phenomenal again but look ultimately shocking a really shocking performance like you could see as well the Paul O'Connell effect again in terms of the drive line out time um, analysis that had been done zones of jumping pressure to put on Scotland George Turner young hooker normally would be third fourth fifth choice potentially in the depth chart and look he's forced to come in and he was fantastic against England but their wheels completely came off so look still somewhere in the back of me I'm like it's night and day compared to when I played in terms of their actual on-field product and what they can string together as a team like with key people like Finn with Stuart Hogg, but look, there's just, there's so little consistency in the performance. To go from that game against England at Twickenham, first win in 40 years, to what we saw the weekend is just, it's such a big gulf in terms of levels of performance. But then, as being Scottish, what we're used to is the the ups and the downs, get used to it, strap yourself in. Um, But look, you just hope that one day you can sort of nick these games but ultimately if they can't dominate physically in a first half against Ireland you're not going to beat the races and Benji as a as a hooker what did you make of the lineup? because that was a huge area to only win two of eight on your own throw yeah there was there was only obviously a lot of mistakes and what's funny and I think that's where Paul O'Connell I agree the effect is there that there was a lot of pressure especially in the beginning of the game when you're playing an inexperienced hooker you want to get his hands to be shaken basically after the first 20 yeah. And then after that, I saw a lot of other overthrows where the guys were actually, uh, the calls were good. The drill was good, but he was just trying to get that perfect throw yeah. to, yeah. and I have I have in mind, like uh, there's a, a beautiful launch play, like a five-man line now, just taking at the back around the 30th minute. So you're like, right, they're going to be, they're going to be back. It's a key moment. And he just overthrows it where the guy is just clearly there, ready to go. I think it was Cummins or whatever his yeah. name is there. Um, and, um, and so, so there was a lot of psychologically psychology there just to impact that and to get the Turner's hands to shake a little bit, but to finish on a positive note, I, I lost every single, um, <laughs> so, so I, I don't know shit about rugby, so I don't know why you guys are asking me, but to finish on a bit of man love. Uh, I love Hamish Watson. Me too, <laughs> mate. He's so entertaining. He's so entertaining to watch. He's that tiny little thing that, you know, Diablo de Tasmanid. Mate, he's, he's like the, the Tasmanian devil. I don't know how you call it. You know that Taz, he just spins around everyone and eats and goes. He's not the biggest, but he's got a massive heart. He just plays plays, plays like an animal. I really enjoy it. And and on the, on the Irish side, I have to say, I'm very impressed with Ian Anderson. But but was it Ty Byrne? Yeah. who play who play six man. now yeah but he plays six also he can play like both. I've, I've seen him play four for a long long time and he's a hard grafter and he does well but at six bloody hell he's just too good on the ball and he runs a lot and he seems to me like a very very smart rugby player yeah football he chooses the, the right moments when when to attack and fair play to these boys i thought they were outstanding it's weird though on that line out time with george turner like once you've lost the first two and a young hooker he is then forced because the problem was it was so well competed. So Paul O'Connell has obviously, they've seabled, they've targeted zones and that's it. They've stuck with it. So like James Ryan is basically stuck in his own. He knows he's going Johnny Gray Cummings. I'm not moving. He's watching the hooker yeah. and he's jumping and there's so much pressure. And that's it for a young kid like George Turner there in that situation. Once you've actually thrown two or three decent darts and they're in the right zone, but they've been competed, you're then your desire to have to be absolutely perfect to outthrow your opposition jumpers can completely undo you. And I think that is exactly what happened. You then also think that some of the calls, I'm not sure if you can remember, like one got called back. They're like, right, he's having a shocker. We're going to call like a, the same sort of Fiku ball, like over the top ball. But they got called back. They're like, we have to try and figure out solutions to help him to get him away from these pressure situations. And that's it. Once you realize as a hooker as well, that your caller 
Johnny Gray is having to call over the line out to get you out of jail free. Like mentally, it must be horrible for a hooker. Yeah. But look, you have to appreciate the work that was done from the Irish side to put the pressure on the kids um, by Ryan, by Paul O'Connell during the week. Um, chapeau, you have to say, because they absolutely dismantled Scotland's lineup. And Benji, you mentioned you got all your predictions wrong. I'm presuming oh. you didn't didn't pick an Italian winning Roman. You got that one right, yeah? <laughs> I did it. I got I got that one right, but even uh, the score wasn't perfect. But uh, no, no, I, I was backing Scotland and then I was backing idiot. France, obviously. An idiot. Yeah, I am an idiot. So yeah, not much to say about Wales winning Rome. It did equal their biggest ever win in Rome, but um, it was pretty much exactly what everyone expected. No, but mate, bonus point after 29th minute. I was, I was happy for them, but I was almost unhappy. It's a joke. So I switched off. The rugby that they're trying to get through on the pitch, they're clueless. So you could have young kids that were trying to do something. And if you understood what they were trying to achieve or playing collectively together, you could sort of stick with it. But the fact that they look lost after second phase, I'm like, they have to change their coaching structures. Like Connor O'Shea achieved better. It was more competitive with him there. So get rid of the coaches and start again, because at the minute it's going nowhere. And look, it's no fun for anybody to watch. It's so far one-way traffic that it's, you know, it's just, it hurts your eyes watching it. It's a shame almost watching the Italian boys in that mess. Franco Smith yet to win a game, but um, we will come to that Scotland-Italy game shortly, Johnny. So ah, let's get you. Here we go. <laughs> let's get your predictions in for round five this weekend, then, because we've joined forces with the Guinness Pint Predictor on Match Pint during the tournament. So anyone listening can join in and compete against you guys. If you want to have a go, just download the Match Pint app, predict the scores, beat your mates, and win a whole load of great rugby prizes. And to compete against Johnny and Benji, just enter the league code Le Rugby L E R U G B Y. You mentioned it, Benji. I'm imagining you're probably behind going into round five. I'm definitely behind, mate. I'm, no, I'm, I think I'm in the, you're ahead I'm of me. The gutters. Yeah, I think I'm last. I think you must have got something closer. Yeah, I think I'm behind you by one <laughs> point. So you're not as bad as you thought you were. Yeah, for for, for, for this one, now listen, I'll, I'll be in Dublin, actually. I'll be doing uh, Ireland-England for, for French TV. I see England finishing on a high. Quite a good game. I'm really excited to see that one, actually. It'll be pretty hard fought two quality teams uh, uh, England finally getting the fingers out of their asses and, and Ireland gradually getting better uh, with a lot of strategy behind it a lot of intent and I think there's a lot of improvements to be fair uh, especially if you compare it to, to the last Auto Nations Cup there's a big old step taken by that whole setup uh, so excited about that then but I still see England sneaking a win there not a massive game but I'll just say I don't know the 21-18 for England <sighs> France Wales, France Wales, the score. Well, obviously, definitely a French, a French win. Now the score is a really tricky one. I right, go on. I'll, I'll go for a big win of France because that's what we need, and and that's the only thing that that can happen. But I don't, I don't see the bonus point. I just hope, basically, no defensive bonus point for for Wales. So I'll go for a uh, 25-10 win for France, but no bonus point either side. You've left the big one till last, Benji. The Classico. Is it, it the classic? That's me. Is it? Is it home or away? Where is it? Is it in Scotland? It's in Murrayfield. Yeah. So big, big win for Scotland. Finish on a high, forty-five ten. So I am pretty much following you, Benji, but my margins are going to be different. I, I reckon England have got enough to actually not stuff Ireland, but I think be comfortable. Um, hopefully, they'll have had a little kick up the ass and. and Bit of a kick in confidence after that win um, at the weekend. So look, I think they've got enough. I think that Ireland are decent up front. I think that they lack a little bit out wide. Um, they're not as creative as the other sides that we've seen. Um, I think England are going to win in Dublin by a difference of seven points. Um, and look, I also think France-Wales in Paris, I think they've got so much to gain. So I'm going to go France by eight. And Scotland-Italy, I think it's going to be stuffier than the other games. Um, the other ones have been much more comprehensive, but I think Scotland can win that one in Edinburgh by a difference of 23 points. We will see. And just quickly, a word on the top 14 before we go, because, well, I suppose Ajahn are to the top 14, what Italy are to the Six Nations at the moment. But um, good win for Bayern, Johnny. Oh, huge, mate. Absolutely huge. Um, as well, it was close. So up until about 35 minutes, it was 13 all. And my old mate, my Namibian mate, Torsten van Jarlsvelt, went over another classic hooker try um, to get to, I think it was about 20 points to 13 at half time. And then after that, just, that was it. Just difference in fitness, organization, uh, desire. And that's it. They absolutely smashed them in the end. So look, a huge result for Bayonne, which gets them out of that horrible 13th spot. 
which is where you don't know if you're going to be playing a playoff to be in Pro Day Do next year. So like a huge relief for them. I think that lifts them to 35 points. Now everyone's played 19 games. I think you've got Montpellier on 36, Bayon now in 35, Poe slipped down to 31. So they're now in that um, playoff spot and Agen still on two points. But like a huge game for them. It's obviously been tough being in that situation, that position for so long mentally um, and, and great to sort of smash Agen, your, your nearest rivals, get a bonus point win and get back on track. And you mentioned Montpellier. What is going on with Louis Pickamol at the moment? No, no clue, to be honest. I reckon King Louis signed back from Northampton on a big old deal. And I've, in my eyes, well-deserved. The, the boss man in Montpellier is not happy with what he's doing. And so you basically want to cut your losses. And they probably told him, listen, you can find a club for next year. He found one. Do you want to go now? Yeah, done. So I think it's a matter of saving a few bucks uh, and maybe getting a bit of an, uh, a voice out of the changing room because you, you, you want to you know, clarify the fact that you're going to need soldiers and not, not so many, so many uh, sort of big voices and big leaders. I would back Louis to be a guy who would uh, help the team, help the changing room and want to save his home club because that's his home club, Montpellier. Exactly. So I think it's a really, really weird decision. But listen, it's, it's not the first one and I don't think it's the last one in Montpellier. So you obviously know both guys really well. So Louis Picamo for me, like having playing against everyone in the Six Nations, he was the number eight that I hated playing against the most. And I thought he was naturally the most gifted in terms of what you want from an eight, an absolute freak show. I thought like for me, he's been the best in the Northern Hemisphere for ages. I absolutely loved him as a player. But what is it? Like, has there been a, is there a personality clash? You know, both blokes. So you've got Louis and you've got Philippe Saint-André. Is there a personality clash there? They've obviously been in French teams together in squads. Because for me on paper... King Louis is his name because he is the king and he's an absolute freak show. You're in a relegation scrap, right? You need every single person that is decent or can break a tackle, can offload, can make a turnover so that you stay up in the top 14. You know that you've signed Tolenia and Zach Mercer for next year, but next year's next year. Those guys are coming if you're in top 14. What on earth? Like Altrad doesn't need to save three months salary of Louis Picamol. He's one of the richest blokes in France. So for me, I'm like, what on earth has gone on that you would let Louis Picamol go at this stage in the season? Like there must have been a massive bust up or something behind the scenes because otherwise on paper, there's no logic at all. So I don't, I don't know exactly who sacked him. All I know is that Philippe Saint-André was the, the French team coach and picked uh, Louis Picamol probably 25 times out of 26. So that it's not a personality problem. Um, he, he respected the player and I think Louis respected him. Now, was there a clash inside the group? Because remember a couple of weeks ago, no, a couple of months ago now, he was part of the sort of six or seven or eight players that were asked to leave the training squad for a yeah. week. That was more than symbolic, right? It means I think there was a clash at some point Don't somewhere. Smell good. So basically, I don't think it's Philippe Santoli who got rid of him. I think, I honestly think it's it's not so much can you afford the money, but fed up of paying that much for probably arguments and not the the sporting relevance that they wanted that that's that's my understanding but it might not be the case so so it's got nothing to do with the relationship with season it's got nothing to do with can he afford it or not it's got to do with it's a business decision we can we he's not playing let's face it he's not playing he gets paid a lot of money let him go mental Thanks, Benji. Thanks, Johnny. We will look forward to the big one in Paris this weekend, France against Wales. A big thanks to all of you for listening as well. Make sure you hit subscribe, leave us a nice review, and we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, guys. Cheers, au revoir. Cheers, fellas. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.